sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time of Lawrence Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello and how's it? I'm excited to be back. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. And if you're new to the show, I'll be your host, Andrew Nietling. Thanks so much for dialing this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I've got an awesome guest for you lined up this week. But before we get to that, thanks so much for Crank Brothers for supporting the podcast. We are dropping the Crank Brothers race review after each and every World Cup. And the 2021 World Cup season is alive and kicking. I'm obviously a passionate racer. So I'm so excited to be doing those. So if you are also a passionate racer or enjoy that side, make sure you check out those episodes. I'll drop them after each and every World Cup. Go back in the archives. I've got some already out there. Now, speaking of races, this week's episode is none other than Nathan Rennie. He was the 2003 World Cup champion. I give him a great intro when I get on the call. We go way back. He actually took me under his wing, whether he liked it or not. He mentored me. He was one of the most authentic, well, riders on the circuit, but humans I've ever met. We talk about all sorts of mischief that we and him got up to. So don't judge us. We were young guys out on the world circuit having a great time. I got no regrets. I know he doesn't. Guys, you can really, really gain some knowledge out of this man as well. He's since retired. He had a long career on the World Cup circuit came out of Australia. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Is this right. going to be one of those deals where I end up interviewing you? Well, and then... I, if you let me do the intro, we might fucking get there, yeah. All right, well, do the intro first and then Thanks. work on the other bit. Are you telling me how to do the podcast? Well, your T-shirt says sorry, so that's a good start. Well... I honestly, this is just ironically on, but you have a few questions from guests and uh, it's pretty fitting. Sorry for parting. So it's pretty much the forefather of this brand if it existed back then, I think. All right. Well, I have no idea what you just said, but yeah, continue. That's fine. All right, sports fans. I'm very excited about the next guest. He was actually, if you can believe it, after you hear some of these stories, he was actually a mentor of mine. And whether he likes to admit it or not, he was forced to take me under his wing and a few other Aussies. But it's your 99, well, 1999 junior world champ in Ori, Sweden. He was the 2003 World Cup overall champ. He's got countless podiums. He raced alongside the likes of Steve Pete, managed top five in the overall many times. And honestly, I think was kind of almost ahead of his time and raced in an era when you didn't really get what you deserve. But um, he was always very authentic, didn't really let many things get to him. He was the king of flat pedals alongside Chris Kovarik. Nathan Rennie, how on earth are we doing after all this time? Well, I'll tell you what, Nathan, we're doing pretty well. I mean, like everything considered, uh, it was a really wild ride that, uh, both of us ha- have been on through the like 2000s and leading into this period of time. Um, I'm I'm here not even reluctantly. I I would love to let people know how it was back in the day, and I just want to hear people know that. Yeah, I, I still love the sport and everything's going good. And so you know, ups and downs, and people just need to learn. And I think I'm a good person to show them. 
Yeah, you definitely won that. You weren't scared to just try things and, and learn, learn by failing. But um, yeah, for the context to the listeners, I mean, my first year over to America was maybe a little bit similar to what we hear about your first years and sleeping on floors and tiled floors, even when you won that World Cup. But I went over there, fish out of water, no money to my name. Luckily, Sven and Uncle were helping me. But if it wasn't for you guys, the Aussies, saying, okay, that little skinny South African, we'll help him out, let him come up and ride with us. Obviously, you saw I could handle a bike a little bit. But I mean, if it wasn't for you guys, I actually don't even know where my career trajectory would have gone. And I wonder if you sit back now, you were pretty excited to come on. I know it's been, shucks, Rennie, it's been 11, 12 years since you retired. Uh, it's going on five now since I, you know, you know, hung up these racing boots are you able to reflect now on, on, on some of the things you achieved and maybe that a lot of kids really were inspired by you? Yeah, i tell you what, uh, well, I mean, it is pretty unfathomable on exactly what I want to say and need to say in the fact that we did sort of pioneer certain aspects of the sport and we didn't even realize it because we didn't have like all the resources that uh, the younger guys and like the guys in know-how, even yourself, have have today. I mean, like being a, as in Australia, it's a it's not difficult. But we we were just racing for love. We were racing for the absolute lover and uh, and the passion that felt behind. And seriously, nothing was going to step in our way. And so we just didn't know what the hell we were doing, and we just loved it. We we loved every single branch of it, and any single piece that yourself and any other younger guys that we could take under our branch, which we didn't even know that we were doing, um, we were more than happy to accommodate that. More than happy. Do you um, do you have like a recollection of the first time on a bike? Yeah. Yeah, everyone does. Dude. Yeah, yeah, but everyone I mean, does. What was what was that like? Like, was it just like just something that really stuck with you? Were you good at it straight away? Because obviously your talent shone through on the circuit. Like, we were like this. I've told everyone if there's a few like top three in the world that can you know muscle and finesse a bike around, you're you're in the top three of my list every time. Yeah, well, like people always tell me that. You know, I get that a lot. it doesn't it doesn't really bother me Uh, yeah i mean i just i sort of you know okay right let's break it down let's do the interview straight so the first time that i really felt going fast on a bike was i was with my dad and we had a bmx bike and it was my neighbor's bike and so then we went up to this big hill and i went down and i swapped out like nothing else swapped it out and then just crashed on the landing. And then I think I, even my dad said, it was like, if you cry, you're never coming back again. All right. So that was it. <laughs> so then pack the bike up, they go back in the car, back out. And then I, I just did laps of the tank instead. So I just went around the tank and around the tank, turning left all the time. Everyone has their own, they swing left or right, you know, so that's part of mountain biking. I'm much better at turning left and right. So around the tank, around the tent, around the tent, around the tent, got that dialed and then back up and then down Barlow Road and then old Barlow Road and then everything. Then you do it, no brakes, and you do whatever you want. But, you know, 
That was on a twenty dollar BMX bike. That was it. Yeah, and then I mean, look, you've obviously been in the limelight along, and there's been podcasts and interviews, and you you were like a duck to water. I mean, you started winning pretty soon. You've quoted say you enjoyed winning. I mean, who doesn't as a kid? If you're good at something, of course you want to do more of it. But at what stage were you like, I can make a career of this? Was there that thought or was it just the opportunities were coming like, hey, here's a sponsor. We'll take you to America. Like, was there a decision or was it just a natural like turn of events that got you to America that first time? Well, that isn't a hard question, but it's a complex question. So the complex question is that when you take opportunity or if you see opportunity, it usually falls in your lap. So if you fall in your lap, if it does fall in your lap, then you take it. But if you don't do it, then you will never know what it may be. Generally, okay, let me break it down for you, all right? Okay, so I went to Mount St. Anne in 2000, uh, sorry, 1998. Then I had my bike stolen from me. So I didn't have a bike. So then I had the connections because I'm a nice guy. Then I borrowed a bike and then I ended up getting third at the world championships that year in juniors. So then I got a little bit noticed and then I went to California. Just by chance, I went to Venice Beach, right? Sure. Let's go to Venice Beach. Why not? And so went there, got a tongue ring. Everything's cool. Everything's sweet. Let's go to Big Bear. So I went to Big Bear and then joined, um, uh, met the guys from Crank up there and then got talking to those guys and then borrowed another bike. And so they borrowed that bike and then won that weekend, which was a, was a, dual, a dual downhill race, which is not very common, but it's uh, like two runs combined, like kind of like Enduro these days, but... Uh, yeah, and so I won that by like 35 seconds and I'm like, well, would you like to come over to California and stay here for a little while and and um, just hang out? <laughs> Basically, like, there was, it was loose plans. I was 17 years old. 17 years old, didn't know what was going on. All I knew was I was in California and I was just had a tongue ring from Venice Beach and all of a sudden I'm riding bikes and I just race and beat guys that I looked in the magazines, you know? So I, I didn't care. And, and, so, and so during those talkings, we were talking about Kovarik as well. It's like, well, there is this guy from Brisbane who actually rides bikes as well. And he's actually pretty good, but he's a bit rogue sort of thing. So, but anyway, after six months, we had a little bit of help. And then we started racing overseas for no money. No money whatsoever, nothing. Yeah, it was get your get your ass there and then sleep on nothing on a futon. Sleep on a futon, and then um, you know, hot dog and a corn dog for a dollar and six cents. That was it. Nothing else. Yeah, it's not exactly the American had. dream, huh? <laughs> well, to us it was because we didn't have anything. We had nothing. All we had was. All we have was talent. The American dream is, is, is the fact that you can, well, like you learn as you go. But, you know, like we didn't know really what we were doing. We, we didn't know. Like myself and Kavari, I mean, like we were partners in crime. And partners in crimes will, will not, yeah. But like, <laughs> like, we, like we just started taking over 
and we were beating people that we didn't know that we could beat. But then all of a sudden, I was like, "Hey, um, we're actually better than these guys. We're we're actually better than these guys, and these guys are somehow learning from us." And so, yeah, we just kind of uh, grabbed those horns a little bit. But talk to me that. So, I mean, for you guys, you, you're in Australia. So anything new, I know for me going over to America, like it was just, there was, it was so exciting meeting, you know, like the, one of the first times I went over there, I bumped into Lopes and Ann Cara. I mean, like you say, so you see them in the magazines or it wasn't even internet back then for me, really. You know, I would see the res, race results that my dad would print out from work and bring them home. And I would try piece a race story together. And obviously your guys' names were there, but, um, you're beating these guys and then going back in the week and sleeping on a futon and living on a dollar something a day. I mean, looking back now, I know when you're in it, it's just, it's just what you do. But looking back now, it's just almost hilarious. I remember for me, I wouldn't have money for a soda, so I would jipper the system. I would go in with an empty water cup. You might have done this at In-N-Out and you just get lemonade or whatever, you know, the clear drink. <laughs> <laughs> the, the clear trick that's that's almost funny but at the same time it's just like hey i've got a cup and then the dispenser's over there so i'll just push it in there then the water comes yeah and i just <laughs> so, oh i didn't know it was the soda one so sorry but i don't have i don't have money and and you guys didn't but it's like it's that kind of fuck you attitude isn't it like you're just gonna make it work because you have no other choice <laughs> mate it was it was almost down to it was almost down to the fact that, like, we didn't really have a lot of money. I mean, like, I, I'm a little bit smarter, and so I did have a tiny bit. And I'm saying tiny bit with not much whatsoever. But then, yeah, it just it just, it just just turned into the thing. Like, if you be good and then you pass around your ideas and then people watch you ride, I mean, like, it's, it's the whole thing. You lead by example. You have to lead by example, and then great things can come from that. Uh, you just got to do it the hard way first. I mean, like. I don't even think it was hard because I had so much of a passion that I wanted to keep going and keep going. And it, it brought me to the end of the world. It brought me to the end of the world. It, it brought me to being number one in the world. And it took me a long time to do it. But I had an idea and I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And that was my desire. And I was even pissed off that I became number one in the world so early when I was 22 because I was like, well, what do I do now? You know, let's do something else. Yeah, yeah I've, so I've, pretty... I've heard that as well. I mean, have you heard the saying, like, be so good, they can't ignore you? And it's kind of what you and Kovarik were doing back then. Like, okay, you're not going to pay us. Well, you have to now. We're smoking everyone that you pay probably hundreds of thousands, six-figure salaries at that time. Yeah, we didn't give a shit. We, we honestly did not care. I mean, like, like when it came to Squaw Valley and like me and Chris were looking at each other, like we're sitting in the van and just like, all right, well, what are we going to do? It's like, well, I can't, I can't fly home because I have no money. I was like, okay, well, what are you going to do then? Um, well, at this race, you could potentially win $2,000, right? So what are you going to do? All right. So then like he hadn't had really good, good results. He was like kind of a mind fucked by the whole, like California thing and everything, which is pretty easy to do when you come from Australia. But, you know, and so all of a sudden he just ramps it up and he's just like, okay, I'm going to be Chris and I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. And then he just got second place to Vulio and then he had enough money to then buy his ticket home. But then 
it was like, hang on, mate. Uh, you do realize that once you've done this, then you could actually keep going with that and your very small salary that you, well, you don't have anything, <laughs> but you can, now you're getting the attention of other people and you almost beat number one in the world, by the way, you almost beat number one in the world and was very close. Even Bullio. He was saying, he was like, well, he's a very great young rider. I do not understand how he could have such a fast time. I need to lift myself. It's just like, well, get used to it because this is Chris, you know. So, um, yeah, get used to it sort of thing. And then he went on to win, like, the next three World Cups in a row or something like that. So, like, technically, he's, yeah, he's not too bad, you know. So he put us all on the circuit. So, yeah, it was good. But, I mean, you guys are actually having these, I mean, this is some of the first time I'm hearing, like, you and Chris are actually verbally having these conversations, like, sitting at the bottom of a race going, fuck, I don't know if I can get home. And then you're saying, well, maybe if we get some prize money, that'll help. <laughs> I mean, that's literally some of the motivating factors here. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. crazy, man. But I can relate because... <laughs> We were in Durango. You probably don't remember it because you're too busy getting on the podium. But, I mean, there was a $500 prize for, like, the best trick in qualifying over one of the jumps before it went into the woods, the last woods. So I just stopped thinking about anything but how I was going to win that $500 because I also needed money to get to Europe to get home. Yeah, that's it. That's (laughs) it. I mean, like, (laughs) it's, it's kind of funny, actually. I'm gonna to have to walk into my uh, into my room for a moment because my phone's going a bit flat, but that's all right. Um, I remember you. You were so funny. Like when we were in Big Bear, uh, you needed to check your hotmail for some reason. You needed to check your hotmail, and so and so, but we we basically kidnapped you, and the, and then and then you weren't allowed to check your email. But it was like I must go home in your South African accent. Accent. I must go home. <laughs> it, was, it was. I must go home. So, it was so funny because I don't know if you were talking to some chick back at home or something or other, but like it was just, yeah, like you, you had to go home. But but that was the desire, and that, and that was the thing because you could tell that you needed it and you wanted it, and you had to make the communications when we were just dragging her around, having fun in in Big Bear. And I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, like I knew I knew that you learned how to backflip like during that time, but then like when we all got together, like we were doing flips just for fun, you know, that kind of thing. Well, so I was preparing and I'm thinking about all these stories and I'm like, oh, I've got a few good ones on Rennie. And then I'm like, hmm, well, Rennie's got a pretty good memory. So this is pretty much going to be me on the chopping block as well. And you've just started that. So for the listeners, we spoke about it briefly. I go over to America I mean, Rennie, Sam Hill, Bryn Atkinson, Jared Graves, you know, Sam was, hadn't done what he, you know, done later in his career. But, I mean, he's still a name in the sport. You were a huge name. And uh, you guys, so Sven, so I didn't have an, okay, so I didn't have enough money to enter the race at Fontana. And you guys obviously had sponsors, so you raced Fontana. So I came to practice, maybe met you or didn't, um, and I'm this skinny kid from South Africa and then Sven went the next day and he's obviously social butterfly so he chats to yeah fair enough yeah and you're still a unit so yeah not much has changed so then Sven 
I'm down to ninety. I'm down to ninety-eight kilos now, so that's that's below race weight. That's pretty good. And um, so Sven goes the Sunday. I don't have enough money for the entry fee, so I'm like, well, you know, I've got to pick and choose which races I enter. That's a small race. And then he said, no, he spoke to you guys. You guys are going up to Big Bay. So I'm pretty sure he invited me just like he just forced you guys to take me because he thought it would be a good opportunity for me. And uh, you guys came and picked me up and went to Big Bear for a week. And like you said, and this is one of the things I want to chat about. So training back then was not as structured as it is now. But we rode our bikes from sunrise to sunset, be it dirt jumping, be it put the seat higher on a on a slalom bike and go ride around and then downhill runs, etc. Like you were fit back then, but people just kind of thought no one really trained. Yeah, well, well, that's a complete fallacy to begin with because if you look back and you and you look at what we're actually doing, I mean, like we're we're riding three times a day. And that meant riding to where you're going to ride and then doing sprints to do, to do dirt jumps and then occasionally going to the gym and then coming back home and eating whatever you could, carbs, protein, going to Denny's, you know. So, like, it, in actual fact, it, it sounds pretty, un, like, unkept. But what we're actually doing was day in, day out was actually pretty good. So that's, I mean, like, the proof's in the pudding. I mean... I was pumping out numbers like nothing else. I was riding every single day and just I just became a, a bit of an ox and I was training with oxes as well and we got to know people that were also oxes as well. So you just, you know, you you learn, you learn a little bit and then you keep going and then you keep going. It's, there's nothing, it was, it was just a rolling ball. You just kept going. Yeah, I would say at that time you were one of the most bike fit riders out there, and obviously your strength and stuff. But um, I think it's almost a lost art. I don't know what what you've seen with the scene these days. I mean, the guys are fit, and they, you know, it's very scientific now. But some of me, I mean, yeah, I think some of that bike fitness and and touch you had on the bike. I mean, and then you forgot to say, then once you've done all that, uh, these days everyone's resting. You were, you know, doing um, like pit kind of competitions and stuff and bunning up up benches doing manual comps doing all the australians did all the cutties i mean it's no wonder you guys are so good at turning you were practicing turning on a daily basis i remember coming to visit you at ceci's place and there was nowhere really to ride around there and we were going to go to bootleg canyon but you'd cut a figure of eight track just in the dirt and you would just ride figure of eight track yeah it's 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 a it's a mundane routine but I'm one of the old school guys that actually loves hitting corners like nothing else. I mean, like, like if I can line up a turn absolutely correctly, then that is an exclamation mark that I've actually done it properly. You know, like jumping bikes, like obviously I can jump bikes and I can do that. Like everyone, everyone can these days, you know. So, but like hitting a turn absolutely perfectly is my little repertoire that I love to do. And like if you hit it and then like say like a figure of eight, it means that you direct your well body motion and everything. It's very complex, but um, you just hit it nicely, and then you can spring up off the top of the hill and back down the hill and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. It'll rack your brain, but um, you'll become very strong. One, very two, uh, excellent at cornering. So, and then it will just follow on, and then it becomes second nature. So, just. Like practice is the key, 
and being stronger is another thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you literally were just doing repetition, repetition, and it became so subconscious. Like, it's such a cool lesson, I think, if anyone's listening and they're aspiring to to be a better rider. I think cornering is some of the easiest time to gain. I mean, downhilling is about linking corners and carrying speed, but the better you are on the corners and you're braking, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer to me. I don't know what you think about yeah, well, it's exactly, it's exactly right. I mean, like some of the things when I do coaching is the fact that you're only ever turning right or then turning left. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have blinkers where you're turning right or left. It just matters where your body weight is. So if you put your body weight on the right-hand side, then it's obviously going to turn to the left at some point and then vice versa. So it's going to turn from the left then to the right, left to the right. That's right. Even in a straight line, then you would set up on one side, then you flop to the other. So that's where the cutty thing comes into it. So then you would cut in, then you cut out, and you cut in, then you would tuck, and then you cut in again. You simplify it down to three moves. So your four corners then become three moves. One, two, three. That's it. There you have it. And I think Rennie's, well, yeah. But it's probably the master of cornering before Sam came and made it that ever popular inside and, and all that. But Rennie, we've been jumping around, but we talked about that year. So it seemed like a year you were having a lot of fun riding your bike a shit ton. In 2003, so you go on to win the World Cup Series. Um, and I was witness to a lot of those races, but also, you know, some of us, I stayed in the, at the Norbers, Brindit as well, and you and Sam Bo and Graves got injured, but you guys went off to the World Cups, and then you'd come back in between to Cali, we'd basically dirt jump six days a week, gym a bit, not really, and then you guys would go race World Cups, did you, like, was it in your mind, did you set out any goals, or was it like a natural progression as the season went, and, and eventually won that race in Optoes, like, what, you know, I mean, I was around you, but it didn't really seem like you were like, I'm going to win this shit. It just seemed like this natural progression as the season went. Yeah, yeah well, you're absolutely right there, Needles. Um, it, it was basically the fact that I found the formula that I could I could win. And I knew that I could win because I did well at other races as well, not particularly World Cups, but, um, you know, like I got... I got second and another second and third, and I was like, all right, I'm on the cusp. I'm ready to go and like previous years I've you know done well as well like I got second again and I had a big accident and uh, yeah you know like so there's setbacks of course but like when I finally figured it out and I was so on the cusp of winning the World Cup overall I was like all right nice okay gather your thoughts make everything and around you happen correctly just because you're not earning any money doesn't mean that you can't win it doesn't mean that you can't win it. It's all up to you. It is an individual sport and cast everything aside, everything aside, and just determine yourself to then you can do this. You can do it. You've been doing it for that freaking long that there's no chance in hell that you don't have the opportunity to do it. So then wrap your head around it and get it, get it done. And you spoke about pinpointing a formula. Have you got like? Can you remember any of the stuff that you were, that you needed to do? Because you actually taught me something, and and you've quoted it before. And you said the minute you get to that venue, you are building your strategy, your and your race run from the gear you start in the start gate 
to where you break on that corner. And you're totally right. You have every opportunity to have it fully planned. It might not always go to plan. But can you pinpoint some of those things that you felt, okay, cool, this is what I need to do to perform. This is the formula. Because to me, if you can get third, second, and that's a pretty good formula, you can win a race on any given day. You know, you're right there within split seconds. Right. So this, this gets a little bit complex. But the thing is, if you tick all the boxes, what you have planned out and set to do, then you can achieve it. You can achieve it in a way which may not be perfect, but you need to accept the fact that you can fail. And even if you do fail, then you have to accept opportunity to then rise above as well. So just because you've made a mistake doesn't mean that you have lost. You have to keep going. You have got to keep going in the fact that, you know, I've got second, I've got second, I've got second, but now I know how to do it. I need to rise above just that little tiny bit and then I'll get number one. That's it. You just rise above just that little bit. It, no one gives a flying F on how much you win by. They just care about, and not that anyone cares but you, then that's enough to get you there. Just that little bit. So you just rise above. I mean, like, I, like I've said this before, I always like to race at 99%, only due to the fact that, you know, you know sometimes some courses – don't suit me or something like that. So I'll just get, you know, purposely get second or something like that. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to injure myself for the, for the sake, you know, I want to win at the big venues. I want to win the world cup overall. I want to win something which actually means something to me, you know, so I'll just throw everything at the wind. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, rely on your ability and just, just basically, smash it yeah just well i mean that's that is that is the aussie way i mean that was what i think so many people enjoyed from from you and and kavarik and maybe they can relate to some of the mistakes you made or how raw you were it's very hard to relate to nickers for years there's only one of those guys that exists that can be that clean cut that methodical i mean he was weighing the stickers on his bike for grammage and he would change grips for weight. I mean, you guys just got on and rode the wheels off the thing. So take me to Alpe d'Huez so you win that World Cup. I, 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 I wish I could have been there, but I'm also hearing stories that you might need to thank Fabian Burrell, who I respect a lot for what he's achieved in the sport. And I respect that he can do it in such a way that he pisses a lot of people off, but he just does it his way. But he decided, which we didn't all agree with, to take his peak off after everyone had kind of gentlemanly agreed and signed petition the peaks aren't coming off anymore. He decided to take it off, and he was in front of you before your race run. Damn straight. See, see, that's the thing. I mean, like, Fabian, no, no disrespect whatsoever. I'm like, winning on the day in a world championship is the ultimate climax of, of downhill racing. No disrespect whatsoever. But... It did fuel a little bit of a, I'm going to beat this dude, and guess what? I'm going to do it in fine fashion, and I'm not going to take my peak off, and I've already qualified faster than you, and guess what? I just watched you do that, and I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. I love it. I'm getting I'm goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps hearing that because I can just, I fucking know you so well. I just, I know you just fire up so that every pedal stroke would have been harder and break a bit later and just, you know, it's fucking awesome. Dude, I, 
mate, I already had that course dialed no matter what. I already qualified fast. I knew I had more in the tank. I didn't give a shit. Like when I when I saw him take his peak off and we'd already like we'd already agreed to it. It was just like, all right, I'm gonna show you um swear word and um I'm gonna guess what, mate? I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you no matter what. That's how yeah. good is that feeling when you I mean you know, there's confidence and you can do your process and because you've done your process, you should be confident you can achieve or, or fail. But there's that feeling when you just know you're like, fuck, I'm, I know I can do well on this course. It's just like that natural feeling. Yeah, I mean, like that's that was it. Like that run, like when I won a World Cup, which I might even add, like is so fucking hard to do. God, like there's so many good guys out there and like it's just – like you're almost there. You're almost there. I mean, like downhilling is such a cutthroat sport where you you simply, if you make a mistake, then you can give up. But then you just have to accept that you're going to get third. You know, it's just like fuck. You know, like it's it's so frustrating. And but, but but when you actually do it and you actually get it done, and to do it, I'm, I I might say in my own book, like to do it when someone else tries to then beat because everyone's trying to beat you. Everyone is trying to go so hard and so tough to beat. They will do anything to try and beat you. And then when you beat them, when they try and beat you, then it's just a, yeah. That is, awesome. that is the elation of, of winning, man. It is, is the elation man. of winning because you beat it and, and you beat them on a fucking, <laughs> you beat them on a bike you can buy from Kmart, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, so this is going to, it's quite a history well, a, a walk down history lane of downhill, and 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 I was I've got some notes, but I was like, again, with, between you or Vores, like I don't need to look at notes. It's more fun if we just remember shit. But there's a question. I was like, when you got that bike, you guys had to take a hex, maybe not a hacksaw, but like a grinder saw, and you had to move the suspension so that you could drop the BB. The bike was a piece of shit. Like, did you even think you could win on that thing? Well, maybe a piece of be... maybe maybe well the linkage design and stuff was actually good, but it didn't seem like the greatest bike when you first got it. No, well it wasn't the greatest bike, but see when I when I started to figure out that I was actually pretty good at this shit, I was the greatest rider, so I didn't give a fuck what it was. I'll just make it work. Well, that's such a good attitude, and we isn't it? it? Mate, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Who cares? Who knows where you got it from? You run what you brung. That's it. Yeah. You run what you brung and that's it. Such a good lesson to the guys out there. Do you remember that mongoose I rode? Um, you probably didn't because you're too busy winning and, you know, worried about your same stuff. But I'd, I had a, a design. No, I, was I was worried about you as well. I was worried about you as well. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear some shit that you I can't. Ask. Hey? I can't say that like what you were writing or whatever it was detrimental because you still did what you did anyway. So well, that's that, what I was and, say. and that's the key. Is like that mongoose, like I did decent the first year, but like up and down results. Then I figured out what was wrong with the bike. So I was obviously had a had a you know, then I was pretty screwed in the head. But then exactly like you, which I want to ask about, like riding for your livelihood, I'd made a decision. I was like, well, I'm either need to perform so they redesigned the bike, or I need to perform so I can get another ride. And then in 2008, my last year on Mongoose, I 
you know, I had some top 10s at a World Cup on a bike that was honestly so flawed, it's actually a joke to get down the hill. And some of it happened at Schladming. But the moral of the story was to get to, like, how hungry I think you guys were. And, and when you're really, like, riding for the actual motivation to win a race and not to get a paycheck or not to do this, it seems a, seems like a real driving force. Well, that's exactly right. Like, Like, I used to play team sports when I was growing up, which is great, you know, great camaraderie, whatnot, ever, you know, like everything is fun and happy. But if you really want to challenge yourself, you have an individual individual sport where then you actually run what you brung. And then if you can beat anyone on that, then the satisfaction after that is way better, way better. And so even like you watch movies like, the the fastest Indian. It's a perfect example of you run what you brung. And so it doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what you've got. If you have the know-how and ability and you're actually um, have the guts to do it, then you can do it anyway. You can do it no matter what. You know, like there's so many people out there that, that have done so many great things. I mean, even doing um, – like long distance riding or something like that where you're absolutely spent and you have nothing, you have absolutely nothing. And, and then you can actually, you can still do it, but you know, individual sports to me is you're an individual in that sport, but you need camaraderie no matter what. And so you need to ha- gather those people around you and they will help you. They will help you in a way that you all band together and create one solid goal, which is to be either number one or then create a desire to be happy and be happy. So there is no other way to explain it. It seems like you've always, so you said run what you brung. And I, and I always, so this is the one thing, like if someone's like, oh, what, what does Rennie make you think about? Or hanging out with him, what did he teach you? And from it really early on, I think you kind of slapped me around of run what you brung. And also like, if it's out of your control, like don't worry about it. You're always pretty happy-go-lucky. Always happy-go-lucky, like, oh, we'll figure it out. Okay, well, you know, the tide didn't arrive. Well, what have we got? Run what you brung. But you seem to really, you were able to block out things that you didn't have control of. Is that just your upbringing, just kind of the getting out of Aussie? And and I think South Africans, at, at a certain extent, have that as well. It's very hard to get out of the country. It costs a lot of money. So once you're there, you better make the most of it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, well, that is... That's sort of to the point, I suppose, um, like coming back to the rum, what you brung sort of thing, it's, I mean, it, it like if, if you have the, the desire, then you're going to do it, you know, like you are going to do it no matter what. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, not exactly, you know, model citizen and that sort of things, which I'm perfectly fine with, you know, like I I don't care what other people think of me and what I do because I know I'm a good person at heart. So, and the people that actually do know me, they they know that as well. And like, so like if you have your goal and you know how to do it, then you may as well try. You may as well do it as, as hard as you can and as hard as you want. Just just get it done. I mean, like I was sitting in the start gate. All right, let me break this down. Like when when I knew that I could potentially become world champion, I was sitting in my hotel room and I was like, all right, well, 
you may never get this opportunity ever again. You may never get it ever again. So what are you going to do? All right, I'm going to get this beast, no matter what it is, and I'm going to rape it and get it down the hill as quick as possible, no matter what. It was make or break. I didn't give a shh flying. I did not care. I did not care whatsoever. When it's on the line and when I when I know what elation is, when I know what like feeling in my heart is, then I, I'm I'm gonna do it no matter what. So it, it was I was throwing it at the wind. I was throwing it at the wind and yeah, it yeah, just to get there and and then to beat those guys that I looked up to and just feeling that. I just felt like I could do anything, even on the podium. Like I didn't even wear my sponsor's jeans. Like I just wear a pair of jeans out there because this is where I came from. This is exactly where I came from. I came from Western Sydney and I had nothing and now I'm on top of the fucking world. And so I beat everyone. I beat all the fancy people. Yeah, (laughs) I remember you had jeans on and uh, Sam Hill before he uh, learned to make sponsors more happy than he was was uh, up there celebrating. You guys had this awesome camaraderie. He was up there with a plastic bottle of probably some bourbon and Coke. And, and that was kind of after the heyday in that lull of the sport and where the sport was kind of finding its new feet, you know, post-Palmer, but there was still motocross kit, you guys on flat pedals. Um, and that's what I, I love about you. You're always so authentic. And you said, I don't really give a shit what people think. And, and what a powerful thing. Not to say I'm going to do whatever I want and you should put up with it. You're saying I'm inherently a good person. You're always kind to people, treat people with respect if they're treating you with respect. And and you're able to not give a shit what people think. And uh, you, you you seem to be self-deprecating before anyone else can give you shit. Like I always noticed that. I was like, to tease Rennie is like he's already said it about himself or given himself shit. So like the, the power of the joke was almost gone with you. And... Um, <laughs> do you remember so to set the stage this is how i remember it Rennie, and it's on like where you just don't give a shit like things happen and then you figure it out so this is how i remember it and jump in if i've got it completely wrong so we're off to bootleg canyon outside vegas to do a pre-season race you know where this is going so we hop in yeah, the mad yeah, cat's yeah. van and you know idea, yeah. Bryn, Bryn's probably driving he was like the daddy of driving Sam's there, Gray's there, you there, I'm there. But obviously, we make note that there's a Supercross, the the finals or something of Supercrosses in Vegas over the same time. So we're going out to race, practice, prep. We're going to Supercross. So Bryn's driving. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're not stopping. So if you needed a pee break, you found an empty water bottle, you peed in it, closed the lid, tossed it under the bench. So we go to Supercross. Everyone has a great time. We have a, be- a bevy or two. We have a great time. We get back in this van. It's quite quiet. Everyone's going about their things. And, and uh, I look over, and you're having a swig of what you thought was water, what we thought was oh, water. Oh, I know. <laughs> and um, so... No, 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 no. What am I allowed to... You see... No. Was this when, when Ben Corey was with us as well? Maybe. So did someone pass you the water bottle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Well, let me right. tell you how so I ben... saw it, and then you tell how you saw it. So to set the stage, it's dark. 
yeah, more than likely someone instigated this. But Rennie was like, I'm thirsty. I've had a few bevies. We're like, of course you have, Rennie. Here's some water. And you just calmly like took a swig of this water bottle and calmly, slowly brought it down. Not like didn't really react too bad. You literally brought it down, looked around calmly and said, I've just drunk piss, haven't I? Or something like that. That's like you just, we couldn't even, like we laughed, but we're like, he doesn't even give a shit. Like <laughs> you just owned the mistake. I just, no, 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 no. I, I think the calm part was the, I actually did give a shit, but it was like realizing that I just drank Ben Corey's piss. <laughs> that it wasn't that relieving at all. It was just the fact that, hmm. I can't really change the situation, so I'm just going to run with it and then not only complain, but I'm going to throw it back in the car so everyone has to enjoy this piss <laughs> just the same as what I have. But listen to what you said. I can't really change the situation. Like That's like, you know, I've written a... Renny, you've got some good life rules, and that's one of them. Can't really change the situation now. <laughs> I can't change the situation. All I'm going to do is change the rest of your lives in my way and you're going to enjoy the piss that I just drank. So welcome aboard. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> oh, I was wondering if you'd remember that story or not. But that's how I explain how that, like your motto to life. Like, yes, it's a funny story. Not ideal that you had to experience that. But like the lesson I took from that, I was like, exactly, you can't change it, own it. And there are countless of those stories, man. <laughs> I do. I mean, like the way I see it, I mean, like I, I learn from many different people and you take things as you go along. I mean, like there are different, different muses in life. There are different muses in life where you can take little bits. And the rule of thumb is that you don't have to take every single one of them. You can learn and then build your own little piece as you go along. And then as you learn those little tiny pieces, then, you know, I'm about to turn 40. And so you can just keep going. You don't necessarily have to listen to the same people every single time. You just take little pieces as you go and that's it. I mean, if you drink someone's piss, I'm probably not a good idea. You know? Yeah, so, well, learn from Rennie. Rennie's telling you now, don't do it. So I don't need to do it myself. Yeah, well, don't do it. Yeah, well, I mean, try everything twice. You know, just in case it's not all, just in case it's not all it's cracked up to be. Is that but, where I got yeah, that saying can... from? I honestly use that saying, like, and me and my brother is a joke. You know, like, if something's dodgy, I'll be like, well, I'll try anything twice. It's probably from you then. Probably, because I live, I live by that. You know, the first time you might get scared. The second time you might complete it. So then do it twice. I agree. I mean, like starting a new sport or a new skill, you're going to be crap in the beginning. Everyone is. Everyone's not. Great. Yeah, but like you know it as well. You know it as well. Like a, a lot of people get afraid of doing a backflip, right? A lot of people do. I don't know why, but then they just do. And so but you do it once, you're like, hang on a minute. I know exactly how to do this. And then you do it again, and it's just like, oh, that was easy. What the hell was I scared about? And so then you do like a double backflip. Like I did double backflips in the water and like into foam pits and all that sort of shit. They're like I don't do the crazy shit that free rides do these days. But uh, yeah, that's a whole other story. But yeah, um, but yeah, like you just just try it and just you know 
perfect preparation means for a perfect outcome. That's it. Or at least a chance for a perfect outcome. What? But okay, so speak about that. I wanted to, I mean, yeah, you didn't do all the free ride stuff, but it was kind of while that scene was still developing. But you were doing some distance record. You held some distance record for jumping a mountain bike, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like I've done plenty of big jumps before, like, you know, countless jumps. But, you know, we tried to break the world record and we sort of broke it, although I crashed on, on the landing. I mean, back in the day, like that was 2006. That was like 14 years ago. And I was still jumping, yeah, like well over 100 feet and did a few like like well over 100 feet. And then like the last one was like 123 feet, I think. Like some people say it was 121, but who cares over 100 feet? It's like over 100. But, but yeah, like, like we just tried to break it. It was harder than what I thought to break it because like a mountain bike doesn't necessarily go – uh, like I hit the ramp at 98 k's an hour. Really? So it was it was yeah 98 k's an hour being towed behind Robbie Madison and like I yeah like we were trying to break the record like that's just what you have to do you you have to try and break the record so so what were the some of the um, challenges obviously going that fast gauging you know if you even tap your brakes you're going to lose quite a few kilometers an hour at peak speed like what were some of the biggest challenges jumping that far? Yeah, well, like the challenges were the fact that you had to go that fast to jump in the first place. The challenges were you had to get to a place which was um, big enough to actually do it. And then you're dealing with sponsors and, and, and like ideas. Like it was my idea in the first place, mind you. But then, um, you know, you, and then you have to deliver in some certain way. And then you have to desire a plan to actually format how you're actually going to do it. So there's a lot of planning into jumping that far i mean like like zero to 40 is pretty easy on a mountain bike zero to 70 is actually pretty easy on a mountain bike but but zero to 100 is even harder so then you need to have something towed up to that speed and, and so um yeah it, it took a lot of effort and what we tried to do was pretty pretty good and we've got like publicity and that sort of thing, but it's actually what I wanted to do in the first place. Like I always wanted to jump the biggest I, I could and I thought I had the, had the most ability and whatnot. So yeah, that's just what we did. And, and speaking of, you mentioned sponsors and, and you obviously, when you get to that level, you've got to kind of, there's certain expectations on you, but from what I've been understanding and reading and how crap you were paid when you won that title, do you think, a little bit of it was a driving force, you know, beating guys who are getting paid a lot more, you're getting paid a lot less or slash basically nothing uh, when you were on Iron Horse. And it's just kind of the way the industry was going and the, the cookie crumbled for you at that time. I think it was like a big driving force to get to get those results and get kind of a better ride and get paid what, what was due to you. Well, well it's, it's kind of what was probably due to me, but at, at the same time, I wasn't thinking about the dollar value. I wasn't thinking about thinking about it at all. I mean, it was basically, this is what I set out to do and this is what I want to do and I get elation out of everything. Like, that comes from that. So I felt good and I felt happy and, you know, I had, like, you know, we had a brief conversation the other day. It's just like, look, when I look back at what I did and how I created that, it was more of the fact that I, I've been around the world 14 times. I've been over, you know, 600-something flights. I've 
I've been to countless different countries. I've had all these experiences that I pretty much didn't have to think about. And so I'm just super, super elated for that. But I think we're more getting to the point of like the younger guys these days. I mean, like you really need to have that, that passion to follow that in the first place. Don't think about the outcome first. Just think about the pathway there and embrace the little things along the way. Like you may meet some guy on the street. I mean, like one of my favorite things to do was like to go down the street and then ask about the weather. You ask about the weather and the old guy tells you like, oh, it won't rain, rain today, but it'll rain tomorrow. And so then you can form your race run over that. It's like, okay, so I'm not going to practice tomorrow morning. I'm just going to practice in the afternoon just in case it rains the next day. Because this old dude who's just having a coffee, he just told me exactly how to do it. So, yeah, like just little things like that along the way. Yeah, I mean, I was in chatting to Maddie quite a bit and I mentioned that I'm chatting to you and, and he, he just said, I think once you get older, you realize, you know, the cars you buy and the houses you can afford or whatever, like that all fades. You need a certain amount of money to be happy, definitely. But he's like, you know, the race jerseys and the memories and now getting on this call, like another awesome, I'm so thankful and honored that we get to catch up. Um, and those memories we form, like, at the races, I think you were really good at that to switch off. And we were in Brazil, and uh, not many people know, but Rennie was was a bit of a runner when he was young, even though he's a bit of a unit. And uh, you smoked Brian Lopes at a beach running race. And those are the things we did in between, I think, to kind of, I don't know, get away from the pressure, get away from thinking of bikes. And, uh, you know, we'd have special Olympics, Olympics and stuff like that. I, I, I saw that you were like, that was like a big thing for you to, to switch off from races and, and do those sort of experiences while you're traveling. Yeah, that's it. I mean, like, like me and Lois, we have a, we have a love hate relationship. I think it's not even a love hate. It's just a love, love. I mean, like we have plenty of like stair jumping routines and then jumping routines, bike uh, skills and things like like we didn't really admit it but it's like okay we're rivals fine we're yeah. rivals that's fine so i mean like i love rivalry you know like yeah it's 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 great camaraderie i mean like like i don't think there's a day that like we talk about kavarik you know but like like we somehow we have this connection where we're not allowed to hang out together we're not allowed to hang out together, but we have this rivalry every single time we hang out together. You know, <laughs> like, and, you know, we've we've always had battles and fought each other as as at the best way. But there's always been this Rennie and Kavarik sort of thing, and yeah, it, yeah, like he, I don't know, he just he's like ours. Our friends all agree that we're not allowed to hang out together anymore. We're not allowed to hang out together anymore. <laughs> well, you guys have had a lifetime of experiences till now, but but I, I hope you can uh, find some find some boundaries so that you can hang out together. <laughs> yeah, well, we we find boundaries in uh, like just texting each other, just. Just you, catching are, up. Are like, you text buddies now? Is that as far as it's going? But at least you live in different countries now. He's still in Canada, isn't he? Yeah, he's still in Canada. And it's, it's just like, hey, mate, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? And then everything 
everything is just totally fine. <laughs> That's it. Because <laughs> the second that we get together, for some reason, some sort of shit goes down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you guys know, are like you guys are like fire and fire. You're just like oil on a fire, petrol on a fire, together. I don't know what you want to talk about some of the shenanigans you two got up to, but <laughs> uh, it was maybe not what you'll tell your kids about one day, I guess. Ah, uh, well, like I've got young evil there, so uh, she she doesn't know half the stuff, so that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy for her to just... For me to lead by example with my what I've learnt and what I've done wrong and what I've done right, so I'm happy for that. But isn't that life, you know, learning, learning, and 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 if you have a growth mindset, like realizing a mistake, and okay, well, I'll learn from that and try not do that again or pass on the knowledge. Uh, speaking of Brazil, your rivalry with Lopes. Do you remember a skinny South African? Carrying you a couple blocks to win some money off Lopes. Well, I won the money, but he never paid me. Number one. <laughs> Is that, oh, that's the Lopes I know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So he bet me I couldn't yeah, carry you like a that. block yeah. or something after sushi. And and what did you? What was your race weight? What did you weigh? Well, I think at that time I was probably 110, maybe. Yeah. I guess. Of of unit weight, yeah. So I carried you, and yeah, I weighed seventy five ish, and I was skinny as shit like I am now. And I carried you a couple blocks. He's like, I bet you hundred bucks you can't carry Rennie. And I was like, Okay, Rennie, hang on tight, don't slip off. And uh, we got it done. And then he's like, Oh, I'll pay you hundred bucks Brazilian. I'm like, Bucks is always American. Don't come shortchange me. That's exactly right. Yeah, bucks is not this. This this is Lopes. You know, this is Lopes. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> you'll find an angle of bugger. Yeah, look, I love the guy. I really do. Like, some people think he's a bit funny, but I I do as well. But <laughs> man, like any challenge, any challenge whatsoever, whether it be money or strength or power or racing or anything, he will have you and you. Have your nuts at the same time. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's what it's what made him so good, and obviously, some people don't understand the com- competitive nature. Uh, before we move on from Brazil, it's just the memories is flooding. So, I forget what we wrote, but I for sure. So, Brazil, beautiful venue down there. It felt like a holiday, but we had to do a World Cup race. And the venue was at the far side of a beach. You would take a cable car to the top and then down to, like basically a secluded beach was the finish area and you raced from the top of this mountain. So we came back early from practice and there was a bunch of sand on low tide. Do you remember that we carved this huge, ginormous uh, bunch of text for you in the sand? Oh, yes, that's right. What yeah, did it yeah, say? Yeah. Oh, it was... Oh, probably something. You have to drop It was probably something crude, yeah. But it was like it was. It was basically like a hello. But it was yeah, so it was, good yeah. because we went early, and I don't know who I was with. I forget who I was with, and we thought it'd be the funniest thing to write something so that the whole the whole race circuit had to come over and see see this note that we left you in the beach. And it was funny to me at the time. I don't know what you thought about it. 
Oh, I know. It was it was fun. Like Brazil, that whole time was just an absolute joke. I mean, like like me and Kavarak, we just ended up there and we didn't have any bikes, and then we just decided to go go kart racing with a bottle of Jack Daniels, and yeah, it was the whole thing is history. So yeah, we just ended up walking through the street and then people saw us in the street and then it was just like, oh, yeah, uh, where's Kavarika? Oh, where's Rennie? Oh, we're not there. Um, yeah, we're just watching Pi TV. That's a that's a personal joke between me and KV. It's just Pi TV. But anyway. What does that mean? You've got an A-wall and you can't be found. Well, we ended up in some hotel room watching tv and there's this guy there who's super fat and he was eating a pie so we just started to eat <laughs> watch pie tv for a little while i don't know but there, yeah like I, I don't know any other place where you can actually buy a bottle of booze and then go and race go-karts and we are just supposed to be you're supposed to be a practice you're supposed to be there but you just yeah i got some better things to do they get smashed in the street that's it but um part of me thinks you know like you'd been doing it since you were 16 17 you know you've you'd paid your dues you slept on tiles you put australia even more on the map for downhill than than sharples and and running did and by this time you'd signed a pretty good deal with santa cruz syndicate or at that time for you you know pretty pretty good deal like at what point do you think life on the road was burning you out and some of this was like a distraction that you needed, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, like that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be with Santa Cruz and we had a good gel going and we still do. And it was, it was a, it was a good move for me. It was a good move for them. And, you know, it just continued the passion for me, like with that sort of home style sort of, um, you know, like those guys really did like, bring me in and help me in different ways. And like, I had losses during the time, like my mother passed away and stuff like that. And they like, they like really helped me like during that. And like, it, it really is like a family based type of deal. And so like, we really, we really had like, like a good bond, like we still do today. And so, um, you know, it, it sort of, it did get a little bit too corporate for me in a way. And, you know, like we, we've already talked about like all the, you know, like, like the elation and whatnot of doing things on your own, it sort of became a little bit more than that. And I started to realize that, you know, yeah. And so we, like me, myself, and, you know, we spoke and we made a quick decision to, to change it up a little bit. And so we did. And, but then we sort of realized it wasn't exactly the, the right way. So we just came back and spoke about it as families do. And we, we got back on the wagon, basically. So, you know, I still don't earn any, any money, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just love what I'm doing and I'm happy to keep doing and ha- happy to keep helping other people and continue in that direction. So I'm happy. That's, that's great to hear. And um, I, I, I got flooded the inbox when I said you were coming on the podcast with questions and it was, it's one of my big things. And it's interesting to me because I've made the decision myself. And I and I work through it every day on 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 post racing career. Spoke to about Mac McDuff, and it's like almost a death of you because that's all you knew, it's all you'd been doing, it's the skill set you've built. So, 
can you walk me through like the process and the decision making process of of deciding to decide to hang up your racing boots you know you had very good success with santa cruz and i later on do want to pick into being teammates with a steve pete and, and maybe being teammates when it was greg steve you and josh i mean that's a lot of of high-end riders there before then like can we understand the the process of of deciding, you know what, you you'd had a pretty good run, and it's it's time for you to walk away from from racing, as you know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, not to, yeah. I mean, it's a very hard decision. It's a very hard decision when you know that that you have the ability and you know that you have the know-how, but when you've been doing it for like solid ten years, of like absolutely exhorting yourself to nth degree and. It's even to the point where you want to win and you want to win as much as you can, but then you you don't fail, but you learn again and then you learn again and then you try again and then you try again and it's like okay, I'm getting fourth, third, second, second, third. You know, it's just like ah, it's so frustrating. And then you all of a sudden get twenty fourth, and it's just like ah, well, and and then it's. And then you reach the next race and, and, and you're like, you're not even nervous. You lose being nervous because you know how to do it. You don't understand why you're not doing it, but then you seem to think you still can and you try to as much as you can, but then you still don't get it. You know, like, like racing at the highest level is the most stressful thing. It is so like mind bogglingly stressful. And so like he, you just, yeah. You either keep winning or you don't. You keep winning or, or, or then you don't. And then everyone, <clears throat> the scary factor is that you don't keep winning because someone's always going to beat you. Someone's yeah. always going to beat you, and it, it, it fucks, it fucks with the head so badly. So, did you get to the point that it was like more of a relief to get a decent result, and like the losses were so much more painful than like the highs of a decent result? I, I started feeling that. I was like, okay, cool. I got my potential. I'm qualified in the top ten. Okay, that's cool. I wasn't even that happy. And then if I got like you say, you had like a bad race and there's more competition, you get like thirtieth. You're like f- so depressed. Well, at least I was. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, like you. Like you eventually just have a role to play, and so then you, you, your role is to then do well because you want to do well as well. But and actually, in actual fact, when you don't, then you're expendable as well. So, you know, time out is a good thing. Time out is a good thing. It's a great thing, but it also can be, you know, you lose the de- desire a little bit, and yeah, there's no real way to explain it. Like you know how it is. It's. Yeah, I'm trying, but I, yeah. like I'm trying to help people that aren't in it, and and it's so tough because you won't. I mean, I can understand most of the feelings you went through, and when you get to that point, and I didn't want to hit the ground anymore either. You know, you get to the point if you're not, you know, it's like not worth the risk if you weren't getting the reward or the satisfaction of a win or a podium or whatever your goals or expectation in your mind were, and. Um, Fuck, I, I always knew it was going to end, right? So I made a process. I was like, it's going to end eventually. Like, it factually, like you said, you're eventually not going to win or eventually not going to get the results. You're eventually not going to get a contract. And I try to make peace like, okay, it's eventually going to end, whether it's now when I was 32 and I retired 
or I could have what forced it to 34 or 35 but like what when I'm like 50 are those extra three years really going to make any difference to me you know yeah well well in actual fact it's probably not going to make any difference I mean like in all sporting careers which are sporting careers like everyone just hits a point where like it just ends it ends and you really find out who your friends are you really find out where like your family basis is you really find out who was following you and then then they just move on to following someone else or like if you do become semi-famous or whatnot then there are are other repercussions as well which you have to either embrace or then swerve so then there's a lot of other harder complications that come from after having a career than actually being in one and a lot of people don't don't understand that. I mean, like everyone wants to be famous in a certain way, or famous in a way that they are respected in the street, or respected by their like peers, or respected by young ones. But they don't understand all the things that come with that come with it. Which I I think I'm a, I'm in a perfect situation where I can actually teach people how to do what to do and what not to do. And so when I do my coaching, that is exactly what I want to try and teach. Not only, only the younger gen- generation, but the older generation as well of, of what to do and what not to do. And is that on and off the bike? Some like life lessons you mean for some of these guys you're coaching? Yeah, definitely life lessons. Uh, it, 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 it is definitely life, life lessons in the way that, you know, you need to be able to control yourself. You need to be able to, you know, dress yourself. You need to be able to wash yourself. You need to be able to talk properly. You need to be able to... Um, deal with sponsors you need to be able to present yourself correctly you need to you know fight or or fright as well like you need to learn your battles as well you need to do everything else along those ways I mean I I think I'm a good mentor in that way as well because I've I've done it all so I can I can present that well, 100%. I mean, you've you've walked the talk and you've made all the mistakes and had all, all the successes. And, um, I mean, we didn't talk about it exactly, but it, it does seem like a similar thing. When I walked away, um, certain contracts weren't going my way. I took maybe a year longer to... Or I needed another year after get, coming back from an injury to find that pace. And clearly the sponsors weren't willing to wait. But I also didn't want to be on the road as much. And you basically became an adult on the road, left home at 16, learned to wash your own clothes in America. I mean, you basically try to be an adult, but you're not really an adult. And, and were you kind of thinking you'd miss something already to be, you know, what society deems an adult? Like I, I've heard you say, you know, I thought I needed to be the husband, the father, you know, build a house, those sort of things. Because you had missed out on those things. So when you don't have something, you kind of are eager for that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, I think I had things pretty well planned out where, like, you know, I knew by the time I became 30 that I wanted to have a house, which I had already. And then I I wanted to have the, the wife and then have kids and everything. Like, I thought I had it all planned out. But, you know, as things go, like, sometimes things don't go to plan. I mean... Like when you when you're a sports person and you're in the limelight somewhat, then you think you're invincible. You, you think you're absolutely invincible. And and when it comes down to actual real life, which a lot of I'm saying eighty percent of people 
think that it's actually real life and they sort of live these kind of funny lifestyles to me because I've lived a very crazy lifestyle. But, um, yeah, it's, you can learn from them and then you can learn from yourself and then there is this kind of funny bit, you know, it's where, where you just need to turn the page and realise that you're not in, not in the limelight anymore and you're just another bum in the shower. So you just have to keep going. Uh, is that another Rennie rule for life? You're just another bum in the shower. But there is. I think there is that if you're not able to reflect and make peace with maybe your role in life or, you know, I think sometimes you've got to realize what, you know, the pecking order. And the pecking order has changed. The minute you stop racing, salary falls away, no one's phoning you, no one gives a shit. Um, and you've got to kind of, like you say, realize you're just another bum in the shower and you've got to mow the lawn on Sundays or, or whatever it may be. And, and when you're racing, you're kind of always yeah, looking for yeah. that next exciting thing or someone's taking you out to dinner, someone's paying for this, someone's, you know, telling you how well you, you're doing and that your shit doesn't stink. Um, like what was what are some of the biggest challenges? Like I find not having that one goal or not knowing exactly what that one goal is that I need to strive for. I've got quite a few, you know, irons in the oven that I'm, that I enjoy, have passion for that I'm doing, but like, there's not that one carrot of trying to win a race or, or something like that. I quite miss that single-minded focus. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, like for me, honestly, like my daughter, Evil, I mean, like I, I nickname her Evil because um, it's, like she, she just means the world to me, you know. And 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 she, she's my, my desire. She's my passion. She, and I know that she will have the same sort of passion what I do. And she is, you know, she's great in what she is and what she does. And she's, you know, she's a little bit feeble, but that's fine because she's a, you know, but, but that is what keeps me getting up in the morning and just like seeing her just be a, a crazy person i love her being crazy some some other people look at her and say oh she's nuts and she's misbehaved but i was like yes she's a she's just the best you know like she just keeps going at it and like i don't even think that i'm crazy you know i'm not i'm not i'm actually pretty pretty calm but um like the thing is like she just like enlightens my day every single time i see her and like she's just great so so that's my driving force well, what a blessing. Oh, thanks thanks for sharing that. It's so cool to hear. And it's obviously such a big part of your life now. And you sent me that video and you're like, oh, I wonder where she gets it from. And that just cracked me up. But I can imagine your emotion watching that. And, uh, oh, I, I do. Yeah, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, the crazy term or whatever. Like that society boxes everyone in on how you're meant to be as a girl or a boy or then a woman and then a man. And to you, you say, well, it's not crazy. It's how she wants to be, you know, you know, and you seem yeah, to have not it. lost it's that, you know, right. you never got boxed in as an adult on what you're meant to be and what sort of race are you meant to be and how you're meant to act, etc. cetera. Uh, that's it. There's, there's no rules to life. And I'll put an exclamation mark on that. There's no rules to life. And if you, if you actually think that there are rules to life, then you're missing out on a lot of it because it's only short. But I mean, it's it's. Let's not hide from the fact, like retiring from a sport is. Oh, I mean, I've spoken to people that have done it very well. If you look at what they've transitioned into business or whatever they've done, quite well, and they've quoted and said, "Oh, it's the hardest thing they've ever done." And I don't think there's a lot of 
support structure for retiring from something, you know, and it would be like asking a lawyer to put an end date on his career and force him to figure out something else. Look, some people do transition out of corporate and change their skill set, but I mean, what? it's not a lot of industries where you're like, yep, okay, you're done now. Can you go figure out life? Oh, and you need to earn money and, and figure all these other things out. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, like, I can put um, some pretty good points in there. I mean, I, I really think that a lot of younger people in any sport uh, shouldn't, it's not that they don't deserve the, the money, but I think that the money should go to a due course to then continue their career after they decide to hang the boots up sort of thing. So, like, I've seen it in many different ways where, like, younger people then say, oh, I've got all this money, then I can go out and spend it, but then all of a sudden they make, they make bad decisions and whatnot because they don't know how to do it. And no one tells them how to do it because, you know, there's a lot of AFL players and rugby league players and whatnot in Australia where they shine a million dollars in their face and all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't want to touch the ball because I don't want to get injured. And so then you take the ball because you're getting paid half as much, so you're expendable. It's the, the total wrong idea, you know. So, um, yeah, it's like there needs to be like a format where – like superannuation and whatnot is a good idea, but I don't think it's a great idea. Uh, you know, great ideas actually make success. Uh, some of the ideas that the banks and whatnot, I mean, we don't want to get political because I do have political views, but, um, yeah, it's not, yeah, you just got to be smart from the get-go, and if you follow your passion, then that's exactly what you should continue doing just follow that passion and winning is the ultimate goal whatever else comes with it then it'll come in future no matter what so just keep doing that doing it that way and that's it yeah but i mean from what i'm hearing also as you're saying you hope there'd be a bit more education or maybe people must think a little bit longer term with some of the money they're earning and, and we see it in you talking about australian uh, Australian rules rugby NFL is well documented that a lot of guys are bankrupt within three years they kind of live up to their salary as if they're going to earn that salary till they're 60 years old but there's obviously your expendable yeah. contracts uh, you know expire injuries happen politics happen sometimes you deserve a ride or a, or a team you don't get it so yeah I, I always I was lucky that, to have some education and read books to the point that I was like, shucks, this is going to end. I should put a little bit away, you know, because then it's a little less stressful when you do retire. And and I think you should have a little bit of a plan. But also, like you said, the goal is winning. John Cacaldi always said to me, don't ask me about yeah, retirement until cool. you retire. Like, you should be focusing on one thing and one thing only. And to perform at the top, you, you do need to. What about some of the things you learned? Like, do you sometimes feel like, I mean, obviously, your whole being is what you learned racing, but do you see that in your career and, and things after racing, like using more like what can people learn from sportsmen and then use in day-to-day -day life? Because I think there's a lot of things that you can use. Yeah, well, yeah, you're not wrong there. I mean, like a lot of people, especially in life in general, can learn from sports because they learn desire and and they just – like the completion of – having a task completed like ultimately is what you strive for and so and 
there needs to be the benefit in a lot of people in their lives where if you can't see the ultimate goal, then there's sort of no use in following that pathway. So it's almost accepting accepting defeat in that and then trying another pathway and trying your own way how to do it. And once you know your own way how to do it, then if you succeed, then you can continue even higher than that. So a lot of people in life, they sort of think, it's like, okay, I have a mundane job, that's great, I'm paying the bills, I'm doing everything, and that's all I can get because I can't go any further. But if you can also think outside the bun and deliver something more to them or then even think, like, what can you create yourself? And then, like, people don't understand sometimes that a lot of the older hierarchy of age, then they actually go away to any other instant. That means that's your time to shine. So then you shine in that respect. So you can always change people's minds. You can always do what you want. Some people just go away because they don't give a shit. So, you know, it, it's evolution. It's always going to change. So that's it. And what was that? Um, we were texting. I think you had that saying, or maybe I heard it somewhere. You are saying, like, you don't perform unless you're in an uncomfortable situation or you had some gem that I heard when I was preparing for this. Yeah, well, no one succeeds in their comfort zone. There we go. That's it. Nobody succeeds in their comfort zone. As soon as you feel comfortable, then you will become complacent. Yeah. And when you become complacent, then you continue to do the same thing. And you'll continue to then lose focus on what the ultimate goal is. If you release that and then put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, such as having to race for your life, having to race to get your flight home, having to race to then get to the your family or loved ones or whatnot, then you will succeed. So you do not have to be barraged by the fanfare and all that sort of thing. You will just have to succeed no matter what. Yeah, I think, geez, Rennie, that's brilliant. I mean, you, you, how do you push past what you think your potential is and, unless you, like you say, you're forced to it or you've got to race for your dinner that night or all those things or you've got like a real thing to prove and, and we see it all. You know, you always bet on the underdog, the underdog. And that's why, and maybe this leads to being teammates with people that had like longevity like PD and Greg. I mean, you mentioned like, shit, you won the world title and then you were like, now what? So my life's basically the same, but I've won this title. And, and, I, and I see it in a lot of sports. Some people, they're like, shit, okay, I worked all that way to, to get this title. I mean, what did you see with PD and Manar that those, I mean, their longevity is ridiculous. Yeah, well, their longevity sort of overrides me in a way because like they are the... You know, like credentials, they have a lot more than what I have. Um, I I sort of feel that their credentials, you know, <laughs> racing at the highest level is always difficult, always difficult in, in any respect whatsoever. It's, you know, like being pitted against those guys with the syndicate, but it wasn't difficult for me, but it was at, at the same respect. It was like they sort of knew how to do it, like, you know, financially sort of thing and I didn't even think of that you know and so they yeah I mean like I do look up to those guys no matter what I mean you know no no disrespect or whatever but it was a little bit uncomfortable for me that's that's all I'm gonna say so yeah yeah no definitely 
I've, I've read some articles. Yeah. I think there's a lot of mutual respect, but you guys were still rivals, and, and that's going to be uncomfortable, isn't it, over time, having that many rivals on, on one team? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, like, yeah, everyone's rivals no matter what. But then, you know, would I save anyone on the on the high end of racing circuit if they're in any sort of dire need? I, I will help them no matter what. That's just the sort of person that I am. Uh, it, but at the same time, there is that rivalry. I mean, like when the beeps start ticking, then there's no prisoners. There are no prisoners whatsoever. I would yeah. like, like even talking back. I mean, like with 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 Fabian, uh, bless him. You know, uh, it's just like, mate, when he like he just puts the fire under your belly, and I'm going to beat this guy. You know, like like, and it's the same with everyone. It's the same with everyone. You know, it's the same with everyone at a high sport. It's like I don't care. I don't care what shoes you wear. I don't care what clothes you wear. I don't care what money you earn. But I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to beat you in fine fashion. So <laughs> fine fashion. Get it done. That's amazing, mate. Well, what about uh, we'll get into some uh, listener questions as as far as I have a few quick fire questions and go as long and short as you want, or just say you know, I refrain from commenting, and I'm I'm sure we'll go on <laughs> yeah. some tangents. Right, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're gonna have a, a, a way more in depth in depth conversation, but yeah. All right, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? Um, <laughs> Can you, uh, for the, <laughs> I've got, uh, did you or did you not help and or orchestrate cutting Sam Hill's race winning world champs bike to bits, spokes and brake hoses? All right. This needs an explanation. <laughs> Go for it. Right. So, okay. There's two sides to this. There are two sides to this. One when you become world champion, you have to remember the occasion, which this was a this was a long time ago, and so this is why you remember it and why I remember it. So Sam Hill became world champion on that day, and we still talk about it for a very good reason because he was number one. Right, we've got that correct. Now the, the secondary factor is when you cut someone's brake hoses means that the only reasons why he did win because he didn't use his brakes because he didn't have any. <laughs> and the only reason why his spokes broke because he was going too fast because they had to brake because he didn't slow down. Oh, okay, I see. Okay, so that's the... <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't cut, were they? They just miraculously seared in two. They sheared in two for the sheer fact that he didn't have any breaks because he was going so fast to become world champion. Oh, I didn't know that version of the story, Rennie. Thanks so much for bringing it out. <laughs> You're the one that brought it up, and that is the actual reason why. Because <laughs> Jason McCrory back in the day, um, bless him, uh, uh, he, he also had his brake lines cut after his race when he won and there was a reason why he won yeah because the, he didn't have any break steve pete was involved and he has come out and mentioned that yeah maybe it's a little bit of history having to repeat itself yes it was have to repeat itself and when you become world champion such as sam did 
you work so hard to get to that point and then to destroy his bike was pretty funny. <laughs> we thought it was funny. We thought it was funny at the time and we got in big trouble. But the reason why we're talking about it now because it is so hard to become number one and when you win, you need something better than a trophy. Yeah, I mean, that's the camaraderie of the sport. We're all there for each other in the trenches. Uh, you know, I've laughed my ass off. You guys, it was one of those things that it's so funny, I bet, to you guys while doing it. And then, like, the snowball of, like, the repercussions and them coming to the pits going, oh, shit, you know, they didn't quite find this joke as funny as we did. <laughs> Dude, like, like that... Like what we did to Sam's bike, we got in big trouble. I mean, like, <laughs> no, no, no dis disguising that one. And like, like Steve had to write a written letter, and then I didn't write one because I thought that Steve written one for me. And then I had to go there, and I was almost in tears. I was like, oh, I didn't realize the repercussions of this shit. So, <laughs> just all right, let's just leave it be. Leave it be be bygones, you know. So. Um, but anyway, we're still talking about it today, so that's the whole reason why we did it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, did you ever leave a passport on a plane, and how did you get it back, if so? All right. Well, this one's for for Renoir's memoirs, but yes. All right, so we got into Luton Airport, and obviously there was a – I was maybe a little bit under the weather, right? And so – so, you know, you get off the plane and then you go to customs and you realise that you don't have your passport. So, okay, so where's my passport? All right, so I've got to figure this out. Right, so the plane's over there. My next destination is over there. I need to get there, but I need a passport to get there. So how am I going to do this? Right. And so I went back along the, um, what do you call it, like the, um, where the plane's, yeah, like the uh, rival hall and the gates where they... Yeah, the gates. Yeah, the gates, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so the gates were there. And so I was like, all right, there's my plane. I need to get there somehow. So I ran downstairs and I saw the exit, like emergency exit, fire alarm. I'm like, right, you and me, this is it. And so I jabbed it with my fingers and then alarm went off. Right, alarm's going off. And then I'm all of a sudden out on the tarmac. I'm on the tarmac running no. towards the plane where I know <laughs> I'm running towards the plane where I know that my passport is. And then all of a sudden I see a baggage handler and he's there. He's like, Oh, sir, stop, stop. In his English accent. I can't do an English English accent. <laughs> stop here, sir. Stop. I was like, right, you and me, we are together. Okay, let's go. And so then grabbed him. He was having a cigarette or I think he was smoking a dart or something like that. Like you know, and so I grabbed him and was like, right, we're going to pose as oncoming passengers and join that line to get onto that plane. So I grabbed this dude and then put him into the passenger line and then go up the stairs and then just to see the stewardess with my passport, handing it to the other stewardess up there. It's like, that's my passport. So they check my passport and then it's like, yep, that's you, Identif identification. Then I grabbed it and then ran back down the stairs, back to customs and then went in back into England with my passport in my hand. <laughs> Where there's a wall, there's a way. 
there's always a way, dude. There's always a way. And then like, he was like, well, h- how did you get downstairs? It's like, oh, the door was open. The door was open. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I really, I just hit the fire alarm and just exited it out of there. And I was on the on the tarmac. Oh, my gosh. All right. And um, you've been quoted as saying, apparently, if you think about something, you have to do it, don't you? And before you elaborate on that, the two instances are, did you ever dip a finger in a vindaloo curry? And for everyone out there, vindaloo is the hottest curry you can get. Ridiculous. And then touch your eyeball and thought that was a good idea. Okay, so Adele Pete will note this one. And it wasn't Vindaloo, it was Madras. Okay, well, then what's then why would it have been bad? Madras is like a chilled curry. Madras is the second highest. And when you're in England, as we know, there are more Indians in England than there are hot pies, right? <laughs> okay. So then, so then, yeah, I did. I was bored. I was eating curry. I was very hungry. And so I decided to put Madras in my eye. And Adele decided that the best way to cure my eye was to put lemon in it. So you wash the, wash the curry out with lemon and then scrape it out. I, at the time, I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was a great idea. Like having lemon in your eye was a great idea. Try anything twice. Try anything twice, but this time I tried it once and I probably won't do it again. <laughs> this is not due to the fact that I have snorted vodka before and I have done a tequila stuntman. And I have snorted condoms up my nose and brought it out my mouth and then put it on my head just for fun. But, you know, just don't do those sort of things, right? It is, it is not. It is not a good idea, you know, like like sometimes good ideas aren't great ideas, you know. And um, did a similar thing happen when you thought it would be good to try taste honey directly from a beehive in Loza, Portugal? Well... Right. I got my contacts here, Rooney. We can go all day with this. (laughs) No, we can go all day with this. I mean, like, this is the thing. I mean, who doesn't want to have pure honey from the beehive, from the hive itself, where you make the journey after nine or so skulls to then go across the river and then up and then journey into an enchanted forest where you find beehives and then it is your ultimate moment where you will then taste honey straight from the beehive. So, yep, just like Winnie the Pooh or whatever (laughs) he wants, then you scoop the honey out and then you taste the honey and then you run like fuck out of there because all the bees are then chasing you and Matthew Chappelle out of the wilderness, running like absolute fuck, trying to get out of there and away from the bees, right? And so I'm trying to take my shirt off, right? <laughs> trying to rip my shirt off. And then Matthew, obviously, all I have to do is beat Matthew. All I have to do is beat Matthew, then he will be the one getting attacked by the bees. Right. Okay, so I'm a little bit fitter than him. And so we're in a perfect situation where I'm going to beat this guy and... Everything will be fine. So then I take the my I try to take my shirt off, and then the bees started 
attacking me. And so then I put my shirt back down to try and stop them from attacking me. But then what I did was I hid the bees inside my shirt. And so then when Matt caught up to me, then I took my tried to take my shirt off again. Then the bees started flying out and then attacking Matt as well. So then like the bees like we're in a swarm of bees. We're just being attacked. And so tried to run and then like get out of there and then we're yeah. And get back across the river uh, and then go back to our place of res- residence there and then try and fire up the tiller like a tilling machine. So we like try to start the tiller and then like trying to do some dredging and stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. So it yeah, turns just, out uh, the honey wasn't worth the squeeze. Mate, it was the best tasting honey I've ever had before. I had my hand was all buggered from the the bees attacking it. I couldn't even like pull my brake levers because it was all swollen. Like I had like a reaction to it. But, yeah, it was it was worth it. It was worth it. Oh, that's good. Uh, were you involved slash help blowing up a condom and then dragging it to Jared Graves' bed when we were in Big Bear? Um. There's a couple of Grubby Graves stories that come to mind. Um, yep, yeah, I think we did introduce a condom to his bed only because he may have had a couple of issues with protecting his privacy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't very good at choosing the right moment to then have his own privacy, right? To relieve, to relieve some stress. His his own personal time. He was having his personal time, and so we thought we might help him out with just a token of appreciation that we realise what's going on, but we don't want to offend you too much. So we put a condom, a blown up condom, in his bed. Yes. But this blown up condom was full of water, and if anyone's listening and wants to do the prank, I suggest you get a towel and you put it in the basin first, then you fill up the condom because. If you touch such condom full of water, it will burst. And Jared Gray's find out the hard way. That's the trick. So you need a friend, aka Rennie, to help you move this condom in a towel. And then you really, really carefully roll it into the bed. And then we just heard, because yep. Jared Gray's tried to move this condom and it just exploded everywhere. His whole bed was wet. But it was yeah, pretty. That was yeah, pretty yeah. fair punishment for uh, for getting caught all the time. I think. Yeah, it wasn't exactly caught. I mean, yeah, it, it was just like I'm going to have a shower, and the 40 minute shower turned into uh, where's where is he? You know, it's just uh, yeah. Anyway, you got to keep a tight ship. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> tight ship. Um, we'll just run through a few list of questions and we'll end off. I want to hear what you're up to now at your training and, and you tell me you got an e-bike, etc. We can't forget about that. So a few quick ones uh, it's from Dean Lucas. What was it like dealing with all the Aussie Groms in 2013 when you went over to the Worlds, as far as I know, as one of the Aussie coaches? Yeah, yeah. well, that was pretty good. I mean, like the guys, you know, they're obviously young and they didn't really – yeah, I mean, like they were good – they were good and they just need a little bit of guidance. But, you know, at the same time, like as a coach and like being a mentor as well, 
you need to understand that those guys are, you know, they're gonna they're gonna mark up. You know, they are gonna mark up, and I was willing to take that on board, but some of the guys, what they were doing was perhaps even in my book, were a little bit like, okay, you, you guys are under my watch, all right? So don't do anything that I wouldn't do, but all of a sudden they started doing things that I wouldn't do. So <laughs> That's saying like, a lot. Yeah, and so I was just like, all right, well. And so they showed me some videos and then doing some dumb shit. And I was just like, right. You guys need to pull your damn head in. And by the way, I respect what you did, and I think it's very funny. But at the same time, never ever do that again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never. So you're speaking from time. experience. Like you will pay for that. Yeah, and it's just like, like their excuse was, "It's okay because no one can see you." It's like, well, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're not potentially risking your own life. So <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that dumb shit because if no one's looking at you, then no one can find you either. Just <laughs> get that one right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it was it was good. I mean, like some of them listened, some of them didn't. Some of them are just plain silly. But then you know they're all young, so it was it was a great experience, and it was good to show those guys actually what it takes to 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 win uh, and uh, from memory like some of them went on to do good things uh, and so yeah uh, hopefully we helped in in different ways so it was good no i'm sure you did um yeah another question which i would also be interested because i did see some of it he said what did you destroy most on the bikes back in the day and then he said okay let me put this a bit better what was the hardest part about setting up a bike for an absolute unit so kind of the same question you were a strong lad, a lot of power, bikes weren't amazing. What was the most challenging or what did you break most back in the day? Well, I was just, that's a pretty easy question. Um, rear wheels, that's it. Like the rear wheel was the most thing that would just get smashed and it, it just became a disposable item. Like, <laughs> it's going to, yeah, it was just like every, every run pretty much something would smash on it, you know, it just, and and in the end, you didn't care either. You didn't care like what happened to it. Like it, it just it would get smashed, and, and it's just like all right, next one. I mean, like like back in the day, like you had you know ample amount of um, like bikes and whatever, and so you you had an A and a B bike. So you had identical bikes, which then you smash one, then the other one like is prepared already, and then the next one gets fixed and so you had two bikes so you would come down and that one's effed and so then the next one is then effed as well then by the time that one comes down then you get the next one yeah it was you just didn't care you know you just just smash just smash it like like that's your job to just ruin it and then and so then it's like you just like like even in Mount Sinan was the biggest one there's this one rock session section i remember because it was such a piss off section it was just like i need to carry speed all the way through this section and so the only way i can do this is just to absolutely rape the wheel set so i can carry the speed to the next session because i'm not going to know unless i i then go to the next session so then you would purposely just smash into whatever you wanted to and then go down and pick the next bike and then do it again 
just to figure out the next section. So you were just breaking it on purpose pretty much. So. <laughs> well, let's not set any examples for the youngsters. That was once Rennie had won titles and he was paid to win races, so equipment was free. <laughs> but speaking of equipment... <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Speaking of equipment, did you ever... This is my question. Did you ever pack a bike and leave the pedals on it? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Guilty. Not your finest moment. Not my finest finest moment, but where was my pedal tool? Didn't have a pedal tool. So then you pack it with the pedals on. <laughs> Pretty simple. You always want to make a plan. I remember we were, we were late. You were incredibly quick because you often felt unwell the next morning after race. Very odd. Very unwell. Slash asleep mm. and we needed to get going and you would pack a bag within five minutes but you'd always come running out with a pillowcase what are you doing no it's my dirty laundry you always organize you had like stole a pillowcase dirty laundry in there yeah well you got to prepare you know i mean like you always well perfect preparation makes for a perfect outcome so <laughs> dude, there's many tricks of the trade that you can learn from traveling around the world and um, you know, how to clean your clothes and how not to clean your clothes. you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, you know. I mean, if the knickers aren't off at 12 o'clock, then, hey, they ain't off. You just go home. So <laughs> it's just how it goes. <laughs> if, you're not in, if you're not in bed by 12, you go home from the bar or what? Well, you either go back to the bar and, you know, the next 12 p.m. is another day. So you figure that one out and see how you go after that. But uh, well, that did, that wasn't happened too much anyway. So you're there, you're there to race, not to. Yeah. It's all fun. It's all fun and games. What um is there? It's another listener question. What is there something you miss most about racing? Uh, don't know. Um, tell you what, I mean, like riding a bike for me is just so like relaxing and. Like it's a feel good feeling, you know, like I, I can just get on a bike and like people say, like, what's your favorite track or trail? And it's like, I can find the best thing in individual parts of a trail. Like for sure, there's like, like grumpy bits of trails and all that sort of thing, but you always find like a really good turn or something like that. And you just love to hit it. And like, it, it doesn't matter what the rest of the trail is. You just want to hit that one turn. And so, so that's the best thing I, I love is like realizing what you, what you can actually do and what is in front of you and then what you can actually do and then doing it every time and just repetitively, you know, like, yeah, it's good. That's what I, that's what I miss the most. That's awesome. What about riding now? You said before you hopped on the call, sorry, I'm a bit late. I've just crashed my bike. So uh, you're still, still managing to make mistakes even with your experience. Yeah, so I went to uh, my local Indian joint uh, and then, well, I actually, I dropped off Evie and then went to my local Indian joint and then I tried to get off the road where there was a, um, uh, I've got more bruises here somewhere. Um, yeah, I tried to miss a car and then around the roundabout and, yeah, so I had a bit of a dingle. <laughs> so yeah, you're still, still learning as, as we go. <laughs> yeah, it was wet. It had like a big rain day today. So. Jason, yeah, you was... haven't even learnt that wet tarmac slippery. 
See, even the great Renoir can mess it up at times. Ah, uh, you can mess it up, but, but like, am I dead? No. So it's <laughs> but fine. did you die? No, I didn't die. I'll never die. <laughs> <laughs> like a cockroach. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, well, they, or a cane toad. <laughs> they, they never seem to die. Cane toad. Yeah. So you didn't know what the term meant, but uh, after your time between Brendan and then Cam Zink, they started the saying, sorry for parting. So basically, it's an excuse for getting away with murder. So big party moment, whatever. Do you have a greatest sorry for partying moment in your racing career? That's from uh, Grizz, Sean McClendon. Ah, partying moment. I mean, I can pretty much leave that up to the discretion of others, really, because like when you party, you don't really have any regrets. So you only regret what other people think of what you were doing at the time. And, well, uh, I think I was known as a bit of a bit of a partier, but at the same time, I didn't think I was. I, I, I get, I still get blamed for shit that I didn't do. <laughs> like I didn't do anything. Is that? Do you think? Oh, that reputation kind of just like got a bit bigger, and yeah, like you say, you were getting blamed for some stuff, like because you had done a bit of naughty shit here and there. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of down to the fact that, you know. I see criminals as being bad criminals because they don't know or they they get caught. So they're not very good at doing what they do, but that's a bad way to say it. But, you know, you, you have fun, but it has to be in context, you know. It's, it's you know, just, just look after each other. And if you're going to do dumb shit, just do it by yourself. Don't involve anyone else in it. That's it. Well, there we go. And do you think some, like, later... Did it start affecting the racing career a bit? You know, like, like I asked you before, and now hearing this, I'm like, you kind of get a bit burnt out being on the road, so it's, like, harder to say no to a bit of distraction and fun. Do you think that kind of got there in the end of it? Yeah, like, I I don't hide it these days. Like, that sort of party attitude really did, like, cross over into... um, just a little bit, a little bit too much. Yeah, it, it it really affected like my riding and racing and like what people were perceived to look up to and whatnot. And you know, obviously, I made mistakes and whatnot. It's been pretty public as well. But at the same time, you know, you learn as you go, and um, I think I'm a good person to learn from from that as well. I mean, I, I generally don't have a conscience when it, when it comes to that sort of thing, which which I had to come to terms with as well. So. Yeah, you, know, um, you just learn from mistakes and you move on, and there's no other way that I see it as not from learning from mistakes. So you just have to keep going, and you know, no one's perfect. So that's just how it is. And on that topic, maybe I I, I would assume you don't believe in regrets, and, and neither do I. I think it shapes us if you're able to learn. Like, would is there advice you'd give to your 20 year old self looking back now, and or a 20 year old? So someone in a similar position like just some friendly bit of advice from your experience like definitely just be as strong as you can and try and be as strong as you can in not only mentally but physically as well the, the, the stronger you are then it, it overlaps into the way you communicate it'll over, overlap in the way that you 
feel good about yourself and just everything that you can see as being strong or then better for yourself, then continue that attitude. And just don't get yourself down if you do make a mistake. Uh, just continue on. You know, don't let it harm you. Like it, it will, it will, and accept that. Accept the mistake and then move on from it. Learn from it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. No, you've, it's been so good to have you on, Yarini. And talk to me about your current state of riding, what you're up to. I know you've been getting more into coaching. You text me like, look what's arrived. You've got, you got an e-bike. So it seems like you've got another lease on, on, on riding and, like you say, mentoring, giving back. What's that, what is like the, the current status for Rennie and, and riding look like? Yeah, it's looking pretty good. I mean, like I'm looking to do a lot more coaching. Obviously, I do a lot, a lot of trail building as well. So I've been like pretty consistent, consistently working, um, doing trail building and uh, ramping up the the coaching as well. So that's always available. And looking at making a bit of a move out to Corralbin Mountain Bike Park out there. So such a good place to ride and do whatever you, whatever you want. So yeah, that's all in the works still. But yeah, we're just. Uh, working on different avenues at the moment and just going to continue riding. I mean, I really need to succumb to the fact that mountain bike riding is going to be with me for the rest of my life. And so I'm just going to embrace it and keep moving on. It's going to be great. Did you, after retiring, did you ride a lot less and kind of like block it out a bit and kind of just ignore it for a bit? Cause I didn't really speak to you for quite a few years after you retired. Didn't really see if you were riding or not. Like, yeah, mate, I, I didn't even dabbled. want to look at the bike. Hey, I didn't even want to look at a bike. Yeah, you were that burnt out, huh? Well, I wouldn't say burnt out, but it's just like you look at that thing and it's just the evil demon. It's just like you hurt me and I hurt you. I break you, then you break me. So all of a sudden, get fucked. I don't like you anymore, but then I'll come back and I'll fix you and I'll make, I'll, I'll hurt you again. You know, <laughs> it was just this like, I didn't even, I didn't like it. I hated it. You know, I was just like, fuck you, content, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah it's just like you make me happy but you make me sad then you break and then you don't like me again oh yeah and then you you're you're still looking at me i still know you i know you i fucking know you know it was just like like uh yeah but 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 i still love it i mean like i've even got into into the fact i mean like like i still have a really good relationship with santa cruz and some of the bikes that they've like bless me with it just it's it's almost like a piece of art these days where they just look so cool and beautiful and you know you really want to it's just like i'm gonna rape you but you ask for it it's gonna happen <laughs> you know, like it's it's so cool but yeah well, really. Yeah, no, that, anyway that's that this has been awesome and i think we go for hours and uh I didn't even get to ask you about what we think of the state of racing, but maybe let's wind down and, and tell me if you watch any racing and what you think about like what the racing's like at the moment, looking from the outsiders as a fan like I am when I watch the races. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I still watch the races. I, I, I catch up as, as much as I can. I mean, it, I just love the fact that it's so cutthroat and the younger guys are like the top guys. Like you can tell that they know how cutthroat it is. And so, like, when you see them win, and it's just, I know from my own experience, it, like, winning is happiness, but at the same time, you just look at their faces, and it's just, like, the relief 
It's just like, oh, I can finally do it. Ah, oh, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep. Ah, oh, fuck this shit. <laughs> just like, it is, it is, there's no relation. It's just like tomorrow's another day. And it's just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, it, it, but it's so cool. It's, it's so cool to see that, you know, they realize how hard it is. And like when you see people actually achieve that, it's just, it's more relief than anything else. It's great. Yeah, it is. It's special. And I think the racing's in such an awesome place. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, like I say, it was so awesome to to rekindle some of our chats. And I, and, I, and I hope we can carry on and maybe get you on to chat about some racing if the time zone works, or at least we can bench race via text and fuck did you see that or who's you know why is he riding so shit you're, you're a man with I, I don't think people saw that side of you you know they kind of just assumed because you'd got a party like uh, reputation but they didn't see how hard you worked or how um, like street smart and intellectually you thought about your racing and I don't think you can win without that I don't think you can just not be you know strategy and thoughtful so it'd be awesome to hear if you're keen to do that yeah yeah that's exactly right i mean that's what i want to pass on to the not only the younger generation i mean like a lot of my coaching these days is going to be focusing at the guys that are over 40 because there's so many things that they don't actually realize about racing and riding that it's so simple things that you can do and even things that you can teach like the younger generation as well and so i've been there i've done that and i really think that i can like show people exactly how to do it and so I am going to ramp that up, um, still in development stage, or exactly how to do it. But, yeah, it's it's going to work. And, like, all, all the guinea pigs that I've used so far, they really do pay attention and they starting to realise exactly how to do it. I mean, really what I want to do is to show the younger generation that although you're a privateer, you can still succeed and still do well without all the perks. You know, you can you can still do it. I mean, a hot dog and a corn dog for a dollar and six cents, that was the budget. That's it. So you can still do it. Or borrowing a bike in St. Anne and, and still performing and, and not overthinking that it's not your bike. So, uh, Rennie, you have been there, seen that, done it, made the mistake, bought the T-shirt, invented things. I thank you for what you've done in the sport. I know the listeners are going to love this one. Where can they find you if they're interested in, say, coaching? Uh, you know, how do they stay in touch with what you're doing now that you ramp that stuff up? Well, the basic way to contact, contact me is exactly through, like, Facebook or Messenger. Come and speak to me directly. Um, I'm not afraid to give my phone number out if you, direct, if you contact me through either email or um, Messenger. And so you just can go from there. Well, awesome, Rennie. Thanks for everything, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch more. Yeah, sounds good. I, there's plenty more stories, don't you worry. No, we'll have to have a version two. So uh, send Rennie a direct message. Send me a message, what you like, what you didn't, what we didn't cover. I'll make some notes, and maybe we'll make it a... Because now, actually, we have said goodbye, but let me reverse it. Are you ever going to write the book, Rennie's Memoirs, or do we need to just do it in audio version here? Well, we can do it in audio version. I mean, I've got my, um, I've, a, I've actually written down Remois Memorials already. I just need to put it down. I've already done a couple of test ones. And let's just say that this conversation is G-rated and the M-rated slash R-rated version is Remois Memoirs. There's plenty of 
plenty of stuff that goes down behind the scenes and on the scenes that, um, yeah. Let's just say this one's the, the green trail and then there's other shit that goes down, which I don't even know how I'm alive. I really don't. <laughs> Well, let's, that is a nugget to leave it on. Rennie, thanks for your time. Guys, get in touch with him. Get in touch with me. Um, I'm the same as Rennie. I love hearing from you guys. I've done some online coaching, virtual coaching in person. It's, it's nice to see you guys progress. So, yeah, till the next one. Cheers. All right. Now, Rise Needles, man. And I uh, appreciate your time. And, yeah, man, much respect on what you're doing and keep doing it because there's heaps of good stuff out there, man. Appreciate that. Wow. Just wow. Thanks again to uh, Nathan Rennie. What a cool chat. Thanks so much to him for the time that he gave me. And like I said, he was a big mentor to me. I think he's one of the most talented individuals that ever rode a bike, a downhill bike as well. And uh, yeah, super authentic. Those stories are hilarious. I got to witness a lot of them. Honestly, he had me in stitches. We've been texting back and forth. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed that one. Definitely send him a message. I think he'd like to hear from you. Hit him up on Messenger, Instagram. I'm sure you'll check some of them. Uh, it's cool that he's getting back into riding. Uh, I know he was very burnt out on the sport, which can happen when you're traveling around the world for so many years and you're away from home for six months, if not more. So yeah, you guys know what to do. Leave me a review. Make sure you subscribe. Those go such a long way. I get all the messages you guys send. I've been getting some pretty cool inspirational ones. So Guys, until the next episode, enjoy. Hit me up with ideas, guests you may want. I'm enjoying this whole process. Cheers.